Hey, Obsassnacks, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week, we are discussing the extended edition of the episode Faith from Season 2. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander, Season 7 and 8, as well as Men in Kilts, Blood of My Blood, and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into the extended edition of Faith from Season 2. Welcome back to another episode of the Sassnack Files. Today is a continuation of last week's topic where we discussed all of the deleted and extended scenes from season two. Now, the episode Faith was kind of a departure from that a little bit because it had a actual extended edition on the Blu-rays. And much like The Reckoning in season one, I wanted to kind of watch that episode and talk about those scenes as part of the whole episode so we can really get a feel for how it impacted all the character arcs, the overall plot, and emotional impact of the episode, as it were. So today we are going to be talking about everything that got cut from the screen edition, the TV edition of the episode Faith, which on its own is a powerhouse episode. I cry every time I watch it, and I don't know a lot of people that don't get emotional watching that episode simply for the content that it covers. I think that a lot of the things that they included in the extended episode helped inform the story that they were telling. There weren't a lot of scenes that I was like, oh, yeah, I understand why they cut that. In fact, I think there was only one thing that I watched that I was like, "Mm, yeah, they probably could have cut that. For the most part, I was like, man, they should have kept that. There's so many things that once you see it as part of the episode, as intended, as Tony Graffia wrote the script, that you really start to understand more about what these characters were going through in those moments. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Make sure you guys hang around till the very end because at the end, after we're done talking about Faith, we are going to talk about the Outlanderverse news that dropped just yesterday as I'm recording this on February 6th. We got some casting announcements for the Outlander prequel, Blood of My Blood, so we'll make sure to talk about that, as well as my predictions, what this means as far as the overall shape of the show and what my predictions are moving forward. But before we can talk about Blood of My Blood, we have to talk about this extended episode. So I'm just going to jump right into it because this episode is pretty different from the get-go. The very first scene that we get in this episode is an extended part 
of the very first scene of the TV cut when Claire is in the library with Brianna. And I can't remember if in the initial TV cut they put the timestamp of Boston 1954 on it. Without that timestamp, it's very easy to imagine this as a dream of Claire's and that this little redheaded girl is actually Faith and they're in this distorted reality where she's back in her time. But once we get that timestamp, we can fully understand that this is actually jumping forward and filling some of that gap of time between through a glass darkly the season two premiere and dragonfly and amber the season two finale i really did like this scene in the dialogue the child actor was a little bit cringy but we can forgive her because she's what like probably seven or eight and they really just needed a red-headed brown-eyed little girl to match sophie for whenever we meet brianna at the end of this season But this scene implies so much about that in-between time for Claire and Brianna. It's a lot of the in-between time that we get a good look at whenever we see the first half of season three. What it is, is Brianna's looking at this book and she sees a blue heron and she's asking Claire what kind of bird it was. And Claire says, it's a heron. I saw one when I was in Scotland. Brie looks at Claire and says, tell me more. I want to know everything. Claire looks down at her daughter and says, you want to know everything. Well, someday I'll tell you. And so that's a nice little nod to that intimacy that we get between Claire and Brie in the season two finale. And I really liked that this is very much an episode that you don't notice the parts that are missing so much whenever you're watching it as a TV edition, but it's great to go back and watch this as an afterthought, as kind of a second watch, and look at all of these little hints that were initially built into the script and into the show and intended to be there. This is a really wonderful foreshadowing moment for Brie finding out the whole life story about Claire and Jamie and how she was conceived and the whole story of Claire's time travel back before she was born. You know, so I really did like this scene. I felt like it informed the rest of the season just as much as the rest of the episode. And then from there, we move on back into 18th century Paris. Claire is miscarrying her child, and we get a broader scope of the efforts that are being put into saving Claire's life. It's very distorted, augmented reality, lots of fading in and out in the TV cut. In this, we're we're really seeing Foray working on Claire and that initial swabbing of the blood, you can see him, it's kind of TMI, but you can see him taking her placenta out of her and putting it in a bowl, again, with the foreshadowing of that placenta, he didn't get it all, and that is what's going to fester and cause her to develop this fever later in the episode. I also liked the fact that whenever you're seeing Foray, you're seeing him through Claire's eyes, it creates a nice little bookend for where this episode starts with him serving as a doctor, serving as a healer. And then by the time we get to the star chamber, he's there serving as the king's executioner. Oftentimes, it's the same look on his face, that intensity in his gaze. So it's a very interesting juxtaposition, the healing hands versus the hands that take life. 
I liked the broadened scope of seeing everyone working on Claire, all of these people that she's befriended. Like I said, in the in the cut that they have on television, it's easy to see why they cut all of this stuff out, right? Like this episode was clearly a very well-written episode that had an extremely long script. You just never have enough time with episodes like these. So you're inevitably always going to cut things that you wish could have stayed. And that's why in the Blu-ray, we got this wonderful extended scene. And whenever we're looking at the grand scheme of things that we can cut, these longer moments, these longer shots, broader spectrum shots where we're seeing what everyone is doing, like these overhead shots of Ferret and the nuns working on Claire, that is easy to see why that was trimmed down to size, I guess. I just feel so bad for Claire in this scene, and I think I mentioned this in my initial episode for Faith, because it's something that I think about every time I watch this episode. Claire is hemorrhaging at this point. She's uh, got something called placenta privia, I believe is what she has. And Diana has said that this was something that was wrong with her pregnancy from the beginning. It's not anything that Jamie did. It's not anything that Claire did. There's nothing they could have done to prevent this. There may have been something they could have done to prolong the inevitable result. But at the same time, this wasn't the direct result of either of their actions. And that's something that neither one of them understand within the scope of the story. But This is a very dangerous situation for Claire. I mean, obviously, you can tell by the oodles and buckets of blood pouring from her body that this is a very, very serious time, life and death. And Claire has every right to be concerned about her own safety, whether she's going to live or die. She has a right to be scared. And instead, the only thing that she's afraid for in that moment are two things, her husband and her child. And she just alternates saying, Jamie, my baby, Jamie, my baby, this whole time while she's on the brink of death for all intents and purposes. Those are the two things at the forefront of her mind. And so I just feel really bad because at this moment in Claire's life, there's so much uncertainty and all she wants is for things to be okay. And this is really like falling off the cliff into the depression that she's getting ready to go through, the grief that she's getting ready to experience. It's a very emotional moment. I feel like that whole episode is emotional for so many reasons. And everybody just did such a fantastic job. This episode is full of superb performances from everyone involved. It's definitely an ensemble cast moment. It's the shining moment for so many of these people that were cast for the Paris scripts alone. Francis de la Tour, Roman Beru, Lionel Lingelser, Stanley Weber, Dominique Pinon, all of these people that are very prominent in the Paris story, they all get a moment to shine in this episode. And I feel like I would be remiss to not mention that because they're so amazing. So, so amazing. There was one scene in particular. It's the scene where Mother Hildegard is talking to Claire after her fever has broken. And this is a scene that is in the locked cut of the episode that you can watch on any streaming service. But I feel like I was watching this episode with a critical eye, which I have not done in a long time. And I was really observing for the first time Francis de la Tour's 
performance. She was so phenomenal. It's easy to get lost in Katrina because Katrina is so amazing in this episode. She really poured her heart and soul into this performance and really lost herself in the role. But I think we also need to acknowledge the performances that Kat is playing off of because without a great scene partner, it's really hard to carry something like that all on your own. And that scene where Mother Hildegard is talking to Claire about Jamie was arrested, he's unable to come because he's in the Bastille. And this is the moment where she says, you know, God says we should tread things underfoot and hurl iniquities into the sea. That's that scene that I'm talking about. Francis is just so amazing in that moment. There's such empathy in her eyes. She's such a motherly figure for Claire. It really is just a wonderful moment to kind of see this bond that we've seen develop between these two characters over the course of the last five episodes really start to pay dividends. I feel like if we didn't get that bond between those two characters in previous episodes, these moments in this episode where they really count wouldn't matter so much. Similarly, I think Roman Brew had a really standout moment in this episode. I mean, he's a very talented child actor on his own. He was only like 13 or 14 whenever this season filmed. I guess we didn't realize at the time how lucky we were to have such an amazing talent in him for young Fergus, but after seeing the struggles that the casting department has gone through with casting young children for later seasons of Outlander, I just seriously thank my lucky stars that they were able to find him and cast him as Fergus for this episode alone, almost. Like, he was so phenomenal. Even in the scenes that got cut, there was one particular scene, a full-length scene, of Claire and him at the dinner table, and they're eating and you know, something's bothering him. And he goes to tell Claire, I went down to the warehouse and this shipment of wine came in. And he tells her, oh, and the gray mare's limping. She needs new shoes. These are all things that Fergus would have gone to Jamie for. I think Claire realizes that and a part of her feels guilty for that in a way because Jamie is the reason that Fergus is there. Jamie was always so good at making him feel useful and like he has a purpose. Claire, you know, she's got her own problems at this point, but she's trying her best to be a supportive role model and even a mother figure towards Fergus at this point. And so, you know, she does the only thing that she can do. She suggests that he brush her hair because that's the one thing that Fergus does for her that seems to make him feel good and like he belongs and like he has a purpose. She knows that it's a piddly thing to offer, but in that moment, it's all she can think to offer him. So we know that there's something else going on. And Claire also knows that there's something else, but Fergus is clearly not ready to tell her what happened yet. So she kind of just lets it slide until we get to the scene in the attic where he's having the nightmare and she goes and wakes him up. And this entire lengthy dialogue, I mean, these are huge scenes that are going on. Lots of dialogue to remember, lots of emotion behind these high intensity moments for these characters. And Roman just knocked it out of the park. Hook, line, and sinker. I just lose myself in that poor little boy. Hearing that story come from such a young actor, it's hard to 
imagine how someone so young gets into that sort of mindset for that story that he was telling. I remember hearing from Ron Moore whenever they were discussing the scene content of Blackjack raping Fergus that Roman's mom was like, whoa, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. Like, he's 13, you know, like, I don't know if this is something we should be doing, something we should be showing. And, you know, Ron was able to explain to her why this was important, why we needed to show it, why it needed to happen. And they were able to kind of work through these things. But again, you just have a hard time imagining how someone so young gets into the mindset to do a scene like that, but also to do the aftermath scene where he is talking to Claire about what happened. I felt it. It felt so real, felt so honest. You really did feel Fergus's shame in that moment, that guilt he feels for not keeping quiet because if he had just kept quiet, Jamie never would have come in. Jamie never would have challenged Blackjack to a duel. Jamie wouldn't have got arrested. Claire wouldn't have lost her baby. Like all of this guilt that this little boy is feeling. And I think Roman did such a fantastic job portraying that on screen. From there, a lot of the next few moments of the episode are the same, whether you're watching the streamed version or the extended edition on the Blu-ray. And then we get into the Star Chamber scene. This is really the first scene that has a lot more dialogue in it. And it's not just the dialogue that is different in this scene for the extended version. There's also a lot more lingering on other people's reactions to what is going on. We see a lot more of King Louis's reactions. We see a lot more of Ferre's reactions. I understand why they cut some of this dialogue, but I think it's also important for us to understand that by Claire asking questions to the Comte and to Master Raymond, it's giving Louis and Monsieur Ferre a better gauge on what is actually going on. It's more of an accurate trial versus a witch hunt because they're starting to understand by the way that Raymond and the Comte are answering her questions, who's really guilty here. The king can see that the Comte is not responsive to Claire. Like, he clearly does not like her. He admits to poisoning her. He won't even talk to her when she asks questions. He directs his answers to the king. And when he directs his answers to the king, he's very clearly placing all the blame at the foot of someone else. Whereas when Master Raymond answers Claire's questions, he talks to her in a very low voice and says, I am but a humble servant to the people of Paris and is very honest, very humble about everything. So that by the time we get to the whole La Dame Blanche, I see darkness in his soul type stuff, we understand a little bit more of the motivations behind the king's decisions in the end. Not to mention the fact that I think it's just a pity that they built this beautiful set in the star chamber, and we only get a couple of minutes of it in the show, with this extended version of this scene, we get to appreciate it for a little bit longer. So I'm always game for something that lets us appreciate a John Gary Steele set. The star chamber scene also allows us to, again, see some of this star-studded cast at their finest. We've got Stanley Weber, who plays the Comte, Dominique Pinon, who plays Master Raymond, and Lionel Lingleser, who plays King Louis. They all get to kind of play off of each other in this scene, and I think that they do a really good job of keeping the intensity. They're all so in it. 
each of these little cuts to everybody's reactions at certain times in the scene really does make a difference on how you perceive what's going on. And these are all things that we do get the majority of it in the TV edition, but there are a couple of cuts to people's different reactions that temper your perception of what's happening within the story. So everything goes as planned, and then we get the whole scene with Claire and King Louis in his chambers where they have sex in exchange for Jamie's freedom. This was the only bit of this episode that I was like, "Mm, you know, I understand why they cut this. Because all it was was Louis putting this oil on his hands and then lubing up everything so it functions correctly. That's pretty much all this was. And so... I understand why they cut it and I was okay with them cutting it. Like, this is the one thing that I was like, yeah, I get why they cut that. If they're tied on time, absolutely just snip it. And this leads in very nicely to Jamie coming back into the picture for, I think, what was the most defining decisions when it comes to editing the locked cut of this episode. This whole exchange between Jamie and Claire, I don't know how many pages this scene was, but it's a massive scene. And then when you intersperse it with all of Claire's flashbacks to the hospital, to her holding faith and looking at her daughter and singing to her daughter and her interactions with Louise, this is the biggest impact to the overall show that I think you get whenever you look at the extended version versus the cut edition. For one primary reason, really, um, and I can break it down into million pieces and tell you specific things that change a viewer's perception, but the biggest difference of all by far about this scene is that you're looking at Claire and how it impacts Claire when you look at the cut version, the TV version of this episode. It's all about Claire and her emotional journey. Whenever you look at the extended version, you see something in what Tony did with this script and how she developed these characters and wrote this scene. It was very much about understanding Jamie and what he's gone through over the past few weeks, being locked in a prison, unable to know what's going on. There's no communication. Is his wife alive? Is his wife dead? Did his child die as well? Blaming himself. And it's really about understanding the blame he places on himself, worrying if Claire is going to hate him forever for his choices. It's a very Jamie-centric scene when you look at the extended cut. I think it was a shame to miss that altogether in the show version because I think we needed to understand where Jamie's coming from. And I get that Faith is very much about the journey that Claire goes on in her grief, in her journey to forgiveness. It's about the loss of a child. But Also, this show is very much about Jamie, and I think it can be said that one of the major departures between show and book is that the book does explore Jamie. Diana has said that this book series is Jamie's story told through Claire's eyes. When we look at the show, a lot of times it is so female-centric that you lose a lot of that Jamie storyline. And I think this is one particular instance, and I can't even say that it was Tony Graffia that did it intentionally. Like, she wrote Jamie into the script. She put all of his emotion and his journey into that scene, and it was cut by 
the producers. That was a shame, a real shame. And I think that if you guys haven't had a chance to see the extended version of this scene, the full scene from the time Jamie walks into the house and walks up the stairs all the way through until she says, take me home to Scotland, it is worth every second you watch that scene just to be informed on Jamie and how he is emotionally experiencing the same things that Claire is. So we'll talk about a couple of of different ways that they portray this. So there's a couple of lines Jamie has. He talks about how with all the things that he's been through, the floggings at Fort William and the torture he endured at Wentworth, he never thought that anything else could hurt that bad. And yet here he is, the loss of his daughter does hurt that bad. In fact, it hurts worse than the brand on his ribs or the scars on his back, and it will always hurt that bad as long as he lives. He will always carry that weight with him. So it's a great line. It's a line that really makes us understand that he's equating the loss of his daughter to some of the most physically painful things he has ever experienced in his entire life, which is a really powerful image, I think, for viewers to understand. Another moment is after Claire tells Jamie that she slept with the king to buy his freedom. First off, I think it's a very graceful moment for Jamie. He says, you did it to save my life, just like I gave myself to Randall to save you. Very much a show Jamie polished response, because in the book, it was not that graceful. (laughs) Let's put it that way. When Claire looks at him and says, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to carry this weight together? Would it be easier for me to go home is basically what she's insinuating. He has one of the best Jamie lines, I think, of the series, if I'm being honest. He says, blood of my blood and bone of my bone. Remember, I gave you my body and soul till our life should be done. And it is not done. That's such a a heart-rending moment for me to watch. Because he loves her that much, he knows that the only way that they can possibly heal from this experience and move forward is if they move forward together. Because as he says, the weight of what has happened here is too much for either one of us to bear alone. So it's a really wonderful moment. I just, I cannot believe some of these lines that got cut from this scene, if I'm being honest. It just, it really makes me sad. There's also a Claire line that got cut from this scene that whenever I heard it, I was like, oh man, that just is such a beautifully written piece of dialogue and I just can't believe that that did not make the final cut. I get why they cut it because in the grand scheme of things, it lands better on either side of the flashback. If you go from, do you hate me for it, Claire? And then there's the whole flashback of her holding her baby, the scene with Louise, her having a complete and utter meltdown in her bed, sobbing, and then it flashes back to Claire and she said, so yes, I hated you. It landed better, and I know that's why they cut it, but this line, it says, I didn't just lose a baby. I lost a lifetime with someone I loved before I ever met them. It's a beautiful sentiment. It's so sad, so heartbreaking, and yet so true. And I think it sums up the human experience for a lot of women. You know, miscarriage is a very prevalent thing that few people talk about. And it just seemed so accurate of a statement and so powerfully worded that I just, I am sad that it got cut because I think 
it had a place there, even if they had to had to put it somewhere else. But nevertheless, this episode in general was extremely powerful as it always is. But the extended edition is definitely worth a view. Because like I said, I think it helps you to understand things in a different light whenever you're looking at the grand scheme of what this episode was intended to be versus what it ended up being. And a great example of that is that we see what was originally intended for the end of this episode versus the beginning of the next episode, The Fox's Lair, which this is one decision that I am so glad they made. Originally, the end of this episode was Jamie and Claire going back to Scotland and the voiceover of Claire saying, and so we went back to heal in the highlands of Scotland. It's got all kinds of beautiful shots of the scenery, and it's got that initial scene about the potatoes and everybody standing around the table talking about plowshares, and they got packages and letters from Aunt Jocasta, and Jamie gets the letter with his name forged on it. That is where this episode was originally supposed to end, and it ends with the line, I'll fight, I'll help Charles Stewart win this war. I have to by Jamie. So it again took something that was very Jamie centric and moved it to the next episode. I feel like it flowed a lot better to contain this episode to Paris and what happened with Jamie and Claire and Faith in Paris. I think it was very critical to keep this story about the baby. Because also, whenever we're talking about the organization of this season, Faith was the mid-season finale. So it felt cleaner to end it with Jamie and Claire at Faith's grave. And then when we come back from the mid-season break, we get Scotland in all its glory. And we actually feel like Jamie and Claire had some time to heal versus just fading to black and then popping up and it's Scotland again, you know? So I think logistically it made sense. I think for the story, it made sense to end it here. And whenever they made the decision to put everything Scotland cleanly in the second half, they also had to do some rewriting and restructuring. You can see that in kind of the scene that plays at the end of the Faith Extended episode is a slightly different version of the scene that ended up being in the Fox's Lair. It is interesting how they adjusted course and you can see that in how the TV editions of the episodes are versus how the extended edition is. So it's very interesting on a logistics level to kind of see how they moved stuff around to make something completely different and I think better than originally intended, if I'm being honest. So that puts a nice little bow on the extended edition of Faith. But as promised, we're going to talk about the big news for this week. On Monday, February 5th, 2024, we finally got some news in this droughtlander desert that we have been in. I mean, it's been so awful, and I talked about it a little bit last week, how there's been no news. And I do think that that was somewhat intentional. I think that they had these casting announcements planned for Bomb, as it's called, Blood of My Blood, which is the Outlander prequel. And I think that they very intentionally wanted to announce things for Blood of My Blood before they started announcing stuff for 7B, just because... It doesn't make sense to announce all of this stuff for 7B, which is what people really want to hear. It's what everybody's waiting on. If they announced the Blood of My Blood casting announcements and filming stuff 
after the 7B announcement, it would have got lost in the shuffle. And I think that they wanted to make sure that they put it out before any of the headliner of the series Outlander announcements started coming out. We did get the primary four leads of the Blood of My Blood show. And yes, I said there are four leads. There will be two primary storylines, which was news to us. Let me just say, up until this point, the only announcement that we had received about Blood of My Blood was that it was going to be a prequel series and it was going to cover the love story of Brian Fraser and Ellen McKenzie, Jamie's parents, which is the story that Diana is currently working on as a prequel in book format. So they go hand in hand. What we weren't expecting was that yesterday we got the announcement that the prequel is also going to cover the love story of Julia Morriston and Henry Beecham, which is Claire's parents. Claire's parents' story will be taking in World War I England, and Jamie's parents' story will be taking place around the time of the first Jacobite Rising in 1715. So lots of interesting tidbits that can be gleaned from that. First, I want to talk a little bit um, and give you some names. So Harriet Slater is going to be playing Ellen McKenzie. And she is just so beautiful. I really think that she was a great casting choice. She is in the new show, Belgravia, which is from the creator of Downton Abbey and the Gilded Age, Lord Julian Fellows. So I'm definitely going to be checking that out now, knowing that she is coming into the Outlander verse. The guy that plays Brian Fraser's name is Jamie Roy. He's been in a few Lifetime movies and a few smaller projects, but nothing big. However, that doesn't really concern me that much because let's keep in mind that Katrina and Sam were also relative unknowns before they jumped into Outlander and are extremely talented and I wouldn't have it any other way than to have them playing our Jamie and Claire. I'm not really worried that the people that play Ellen and Brian are not headliners, you know, like we haven't really seen them in a lot. The people that play Julia and Henry, though, they have been in quite a few more blockbuster movies, like the latest Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the latest Indiana Jones movie. So Jeremy Irvine or Irving plays Henry Beecham, and he's been in movies like War Horse and stuff like that. Hermione Corfield plays Julia Morriston. She was in Dial of Destiny, the latest Indiana Jones movie. I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list. Along with a few smaller films, including one that won some awards at the Edinburgh Film Festival in 2021, which also looks really good. So I'm definitely going to check that out as well. It's called The Road Dance. It looks really amazing. And it is also a World War I era show that takes place on the Isle of Lewis in Scotland. So I'm very excited to kind of dig my teeth into some of these projects that these relatively unknown actors have out there so that I can kind of gauge what I think because it's so hard to just look at a headshot and be like, yeah, they'll be good. I mean, you can look since these are origin stories and kind of try to merge facial features and see if you could get something similar to Sam or Katrina. And I definitely think that you can with both of these pairings. I particularly think they did a really good job with Hermione and Jeremy who play Katrina's parents because I definitely see some of Kat's features, particularly the eyes for Hermione and Katrina are very similar. I have mixed feelings about Bomb 
honestly, as a creative person, I don't know that I necessarily agree with them taking creative liberties on doing this prequel before Diana's book is out. It seems to me like they've kind of just taken these characters out of her head and like, hey, we know you're planning on telling this story, but we're going to tell it first because it's television and we can put it together faster than you can put a book together type deal. So I'm really torn on it. I am. I feel better about it knowing that it is telling Claire's parents' story a little bit because Diana has made it clear that she has no intention of telling that story. And so I think that that gives the writers a little bit of a creative outlet in a way to not go so full gung-ho on Brian and Ellen's story, which is a story that Diana plans to tell. They can focus their energy on something completely different. So in that respect, I was feeling more comfortable after yesterday's news than I did when I initially heard about Blood of My Blood. However, I do think that the showrunners need to tread lightly. I think they need to be respectful and to keep in mind not to piss Diana Gabaldon off because there are a lot of people that will rally around her if this show goes sideways and does things that she does not agree with. I think we all just need to tread lightly on it. I'm excited about it. I think it'll be good. But I'm also not sold hook, line, and sinker, if that makes sense. So I guess the thing that everybody wants to know, we'll talk about. How does this impact Outlander? And when are we going to get Outlander? Because, you know, the prequel is the prequel is the prequel. It's going to interest some people and it's not going to interest other people. But we're all here because we love Outlander. We love the main show. And it at this point has been a long time since we have had the first half of season seven and everybody is wondering where the second half is, myself included, because at this point they've been done filming season seven for over a year. I personally don't understand what is taking so long. I know they likely have a plan in place and I wish they would make us privy to it. But what does this announcement of Blood of My Blood mean for the grand scheme of release dates and such? A Variety article that came out yesterday along with the announcement of the cast mentioned something about summer of 2024 as being a potential release date. Now, take it with a grain of salt because I have no idea where they're getting that information. I actually looked at the press release for Blood of My Blood and nowhere in that press release did it say anything about the release date of 7B. So I don't know where they're getting the summer 2024 info from. However, if we're looking at summer of 2024 as a viable option, Matt Roberts, in an interview he did about Blood of My Blood, did make a comment about how the 10th anniversary of Outlander was coming up this summer. And I hate to even put this into the air because I don't want to be right about this, but August 9th is the 10th anniversary of Outlander airing. And it does fall on a Friday, which is the day that Outlander airs on. So we could potentially be looking at an August 9th date. That is pure conjecture on my part. We could be looking at a closer to World Outlander Day date, which I would prefer because that is June. And somebody also brought up 
if they air the season seven finale on August 9th, then that would put us premiering somewhere in the realm of June 14th, which I'm a little bit more okay with in my head. Not to say I want to wait that long, and I'm really hoping that we are going to get some trickle of something on Valentine's Day. That would be great. Like a teaser trailer, like a little 45-second thingy-jig. That would be great. I'm just saying that that... 10th anniversary thing has been dangled by the powers that be. So quite possibly that could somehow factor into when we get these next eight episodes for 7B. I had the question raised to me today, when is season eight coming out? It's a fantastic question. I wish I had answers. Again, nobody has said anything about 7B, let alone season eight. We know we're getting it. We know that they're going to start filming the third week of March. It is going to be 10 episodes. And then usually they like to take their sweet time in getting it to us, like a year. Lord, I hope not. Let's put it that way. I'm thinking it's likely going to be late summer, early fall of 2025 before we get season eight. Keep in mind, we got eight episodes coming within the next few months. I don't see them waiting much past summer, but then again, I didn't really see them waiting until summer whenever we first started discussing this several months ago. Only time will tell, but I think it is likely that we will get Blood of My Blood season one because I think they have full intentions of making this a new spinoff series, not a miniseries. If that's the case, then I look to get 7B this summer. June to August would be great. I think it is likely that we will get Blood of My Blood next spring because they've been filming for a week or two already for Blood of My Blood, and that is also 10 episodes. So I'm thinking maybe like late spring for Blood of My Blood, that'll have a 10-episode run, and then maybe fall slash early winter of 2025, we will get the final season of Outlander. Those are my predictions thus far. Nothing concrete about that. I have no super top secret sources. That's just my own conjecture on it. But yes, that's my theory as of right now. And if something changes, I will definitely let you guys know. I will have the news posted and I'll have a podcast as soon as we get a trailer, a release date, anything that I can concretely say is fact. But yeah, for now, that's everything Outlander that I have. March 9th and March 16th, I will be doing Droughtlander Book Club. It'll show up as a podcast on the Sassnack Files, but if you want to participate live, it is a live virtual event on my group, TSF of Sassnacks. That is a Facebook group. You can go and request to join. All you have to do is fill out all three admission questions and agree to follow the rules. For Droughtlander Book Club this go around, we're doing a two-parter on the eighth installment of the Celtic Brooch series by Catherine Lowry Logan. That will be over the Amber Brooch, which covers a very interesting time in American history. It covers the Royal Gorge Railroad Wars, and the Bone Wars in 1878 Colorado. So if you're a paleontology geek, if you're a railroad geek, if you like history and love stories, this is probably your jam. It's a very good story. 
and I'm excited to talk about it. I'm going to ask Catherine a bunch of questions. She normally comes in and says hello and answers questions while the book club is going on. So they're a great little change of pace, very easy reads, and a great way to fill Droughtlander with some time travel romance. We would love to have you for Droughtlander Book Club on March 9th and 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're an international Obsassanac, that will be 2 p.m. New York time. So if you have an international clock on your phone, whatever time it is in New York, that's what time I am on also. So with all of that out of the way, I will let you guys go for the week. Join me in two weeks for all of the deleted and extended scenes for season three. And until then, be safe out there and I'll chat at you later. Bye. Bye.